its staff or management. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, there was some news this week on our favorite Freddie Green mascot, and we found the best person to bring on to talk about it. Why don't you introduce him? Who could, who could we have better than Dave Raymond to talk about the big developments that are going to make this city so happy? Up, oh, Dave. We got no sound for you yet. Just wait one sec. Just make sure he's up there. Uh, let's talk first. Well, I can make the announcement. It's not as much fun if I make it right. Look, the one thing that I could tell you is 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 we have all had you probably because you've been here longer than I have have had a lifetime of like happy memories. From the fanatic, right? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I, I mean, I now I take my son to see the fanatic. That's the cool part of, of everything. Now, Dave, Dave, let's see if we can hear you now. If not, we'll try and give you a call on the phone. Me? Oh, we got you now. How are you doing? Hey. <laughs> Hi, Jason, Jeff. Uh, great to be with you on a Friday. It it's is. good to be anywhere on a Friday. Um, and uh, and I'm excited, too. We I did a little bit of celebrating with... Uh, a couple of my friends over uh, with at the Phillies um, the other day in the um, the new Victory Brewing spot there on uh, Ben Franklin Parkway. So it was it was great to be able to uh, finally uh, breathe a giant sigh of relief. Wait, before you get to the, the the announcement though, do you celebrate by like dumping a bucket of popcorn on people's heads? Like <laughs> like like how, how no. do you celebrate? No, no, no. Look, the whole the whole thing about that is. The beauty of being a character performer is that you you won't get arrested for the stuff that you do in character. <laughs> when you're at a character, you're wide open to get arrested. So I, I behave myself. Yeah, I would see how that's frowned upon. <laughs> Good. Yeah, uh, so so Dave, tell tell us the good news about how we can now close our eyes and, and kind of wipe out the last year and what the fanatic will look like again when we start the season in April. Well, I'm I'm proud to announce that all of the adaptations that the fanatic was going through because of course he was from the galapagos islands and it's natural for species to adapt but in the fanatics case those adaptations have we've decided to uh unadapt them <laughs> so, so that we are going to have our lovable wonderful fanatic that we've all recognized since 1978 um, and he will be coming back uh, in the coming season as long as the collective bargaining agreement does not screw us up. Okay, so, so we have we have now gone because the Galapagos Islands, and you've actually been there, for people that don't realize, you've actually been there. Charles Darwin wrote a whole book on evolution now. Or, or do we now need to bring Charles Darwin back to write a book on another chapter <laughs> on the reverse yeah. evolution? No, Ch Charles, this was the dirty little secret that Charles never <laughs> wanted to let out, that through one of his experiments, he accidentally created the fanatic species. It was he was uh, the fanatic was created because of a Darwin experiment gone awry. So he you know, he didn't want to make uh, any of his other research not be as strong and valuable as it is to all of us today. So uh, but it did bring us our, our the wonderful fanatic because he was in search of acceptance because even in that wonderful wild place that the Galapagos is, his species was not natural. So they were a little bit shunned there uh, on their home islands of the Galapagos. And he 
you know, found his way up to Delaware and discovered the city of brotherly love. And it was a match made in heaven. Uh, somebody who has embraced the fanatic from cleats to headbands to you name it has been the new NL MVP, Bryce Harper. What are you seeing from Bryce and, and how special has it been for you to watch his embrace of your friend? Oh, it's a that's a great question, uh, Jason, because not that Jeff doesn't ask good questions. Oh. No, he doesn't. It's OK. We'll just cut it right there. I just ask him <laughs> off the air. <laughs> uh, it, the the beauty of the job when I, when people ask me what it was like to be the fanatic and being a person who uh, grew up where sports and and certainly Delaware football was not a game it was oxygen for the Raymond family to to be able to get into uh, the confines and behind the scene of a major league baseball team and then one that of course I was a huge fan of uh, that was a huge perk you know to get to know the players and I was thrilled when I could get a player to respond to the fanatic in any way. So from the very first day in 1978, April 25th, and until I left the Phillies in 93, it, it was really one of my motivating factors was get the players to respond, uh, to laugh, to show the fans that they're real people. So you can imagine how thrilled I was to see a, a player of, of um, Harper's caliber embrace the fanatic. Now, now some people might say, well, it was, um, calculated right like because he's a very bright guy and oh if i get close to the fanatic it'll be an easy way to the fans but that's not true because i i've i have not had the pleasure of meeting uh bryce but i do know uh through my relationships with the phillies the people that know him just say he's a, an amazing human being and i think he did it just out of his love and affection for this team and what it means if you heard him uh, talk about uh, what it felt like to be, uh, you know, second time MVP. You know, he's talking about, you know, it's just about being prepared and it wasn't looking at his statistics and it was everything that he could do, um, you know, from the standpoint of helping the team win. And while that sounds trite and, and normal, you can, when you listen to him, you know, he's really talking from the heart. So I think all of his love and affection for the fanatic was, uh, was not calculated. It was just, you know, part of who he was. And, um, I tell people that every day about the story, and I show that I've got pictures on my phone of him with the fanatic cleats and with the you know with the the jacket with fanatic uh, fabric on the inside of his dress jacket, and it just really is a wonderful thing that he's doing. It's good for baseball. It's good for certainly Phillies fans, and most importantly, it's good for the young emerging baseball fans because you know you guys know. I know you talk about this. You know, baseball has a tendency to have become you know, boring over the years because of many factors. And a guy like Harper doing what he's doing with the Fanatic just brings back some joy and fun into the game. And, and we have to do more of that to make this game compete uh, against young people that um, need something special to get connected to a sports and a sports brand. Well, that, well, that's what I was thinking is the, the thing about Bryce Harper is that he makes baseball look fun, you know, and, and, and that's, it doesn't look like a job. We all know it's a job. We all know how hard he works and a lot of the other players work. But he's decided that he can work hard and he can still play around. He could still, in between in innings, just interact with the fanatic and interact with fans. Isn't that more of what we need that, that you saw a lot more when, when you were you were back at, I guess, Veteran Stadium? Yeah, I, it's... See, we've... You know, what I, I think with the death of Tommy Lasorda and the conversations that ensued after... Tommy's passing there, there was a, a lot of discussion about, you know, the Earl Weavers, the Tommy Lasorda's, 
um, they've been they were a real part of the fabric of the game that that tied fans together with it um and it uh, you know it wasn't homogenized it was there were personalities and with the death of tommy for me that kind of signaled you know one of the last bastions of of that type of manager that you know it was fun to watch tommy manage you know i you can't say that for some of the managers in today's world no offense to joe girardi but i it just you know there there are so few of them that that bring that personality that that would bring in a, a fan into a Phillies game when an opposing team is playing specifically because of the opposing team's manager. I, you, I, 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 it would be a challenge for the three of us to maybe come up with a couple of managers that we could say that about, um, let alone the players, you know, the, the players have always been part of that, but, and that's what we're talking about was Bryce has been able to bridge that gap um, and, and be a player that was more about, just successfully winning and playing at his best on the field. He also uh, finds it incumbent upon himself to figure out a way to, to connect everybody to the game that may not be so excited about the sport itself, but is more about the personalities and the fun that, it, that he brings. Look, I take my four and a half year old to games and he won't sit there for nine innings, but he will definitely stay till the fanatic comes out on the field to see him. And he has his fanatic hat and his little fanatic that he sleeps with in bed. And and I mean, for you as a, a creator, somebody who loves mascots, that just has to be the, the coolest thing from the business of the mascot side. What do you love so much about mascots that keeps you so motivated and involved? It, uh, well, I think it's more it's more about a deeper meaning. So. Um, there was a recent New York Times article that I, I was blessed to have written about my work. And one of the questions that is discussed in the article is, are, why are mascots so uh, powerful? And it's it, it's things that people don't see. You know, they think of silly, wacky, furry fun, which is exactly what, what the, and is at the heart of mascot performance. But, you know, these, these appearances in hospital rooms and retirement centers in uh, in the corporate world where no children are around, where a mascot is really uh, bonding together and distracting uh, adults um, and, and people who are dealing with very difficult challenges in life. And they, a mascot can show up in those environments and, and be so well received and, and thanked with great gratitude for coming in and giving people, you know, a little bit of respite that they needed. And, and that's the bigger picture. Um, you, if you do it well, and not every, not every character is done well with this type of focus. But when you do it well, like the Phillies did with the Fanatic and like the Flyers have done with Gritty, those characters are set up to make people feel better um, and, and to make them happier when they're not really happy. Uh, it, that's, a, that's an amazing, powerful force. And if you think about what we've gone through in the last year and a half, um, that's the kind of what we need to help us not only survive, but then to move on and thrive. And 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 I don't and I'm not trying to be um, uh, this isn't hyperbole. It's just stuff that I saw for all of my years of performance um, and all of the places that the fanatic was asked to appear like a General Electric Palmer Engineers convention, um, a, a hospital room where someone was dealing with, um, you know, with a life threatening illness um, uh, where of a, a, a Catholic mass, a Supreme Court justices, private chambers. These a are wedding, all places, uh, <laughs> weddings, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and a lot of the places you expect, but many that you wouldn't. And he was successful and continues to be successful making those appearances because there's this real amazing power that a great character has to, to 
you know, to connect with us on a deep emotional level um, and just distract us and make sure we're having a good time. Well, and that being said, look, we are lucky and we're lucky because of you. You've been involved with two of the most beloved mascots, certainly in this city and probably in all of America. But you're you're involved all over the place with mascots, including with the Mascot Hall of Fame. Yes, people, there is a Mascot Hall of Fame and you need to go. Well, so each year there are people just like in every other Hall of Fame that get inducted. Who are who are our big winners this year? Well, we just we just announced that it was uh, two of uh, two characters uh, that uh, we, we appreciate very much, and one that would you can't call him an independent mascot because he represents the Harlem Globetrotters. Yes, and Globe Globy has just been an amazing character that that is global. Uh, you know, the 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 Globetrotters go all over the world, and and Globy has this wonderful way to bridge language barriers and cultural barriers to entertain people. Um, and uh, and then Southpaw from uh, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is uh, is the operator of that team and uh, was a good friend of Dave Montgomery. And, and uh, it was awesome to uh, have him see uh, or is about to see the actual induction of Southpaw because he created Ribby and Rhubarb years ago uh, that were not very successful. And he told me when I talked to him, he said it, it just wasn't their time. It wasn't, it wasn't the right time <laughs> for our band. Uh, so it's really exciting too, um, because the character is from the Chicago land area where the Mascot Hall of Fame is close to. And um, and you know there were there were eight characters that were on the ballot. And we go through, believe it or not, a very sophisticated voting system. Um, the, the truth is that Butler was very upset that that they didn't come in and on social media they were screaming it's rigged it's Dave Raymond's friends and uh, and you know what and and uh, there was some sensitivity from our group at the Hall of Fame. And I, I love said, it that you get trolled over. There's, <laughs> there's politics <laughs> now with the mascot Hall of Fame scandal. That, <laughs> I told him to relax and say not worry about. It. They said, "What do you mean don't worry about? It? Look at all the nasty things they're saying." And I go, "This is exactly what the Flyers went through." And they they didn't care. They they said, "We're we believe in what we've done. We're fully behind uh, gritty." It doesn't matter what anybody says because they, they can say, matter of fact, when they say the things that are really bad, but appropriately bad, so we could share them, they shared them. You know, it shows strength and and you're not worried about uh, you know, damaging your brand when you really know what you've done was correct. And so we have this process and they were screaming at the process saying it was rigged, but we had all the data to show that Butler Blue, which would have possibly been the first animal mascot to be inducted, he came in like like seventh out of eight. So, I mean, it's not like you they know, need they to get on it. social media more and put some pressure on the voters. It seems like yeah, exactly campaigns. Um, and you know, they did get they did get a good public vote, but that is only one of three voting blocks, and we don't want it to be a popularity contest. So that is rated lower than the executive committee and membership voters. Um, so membership voters are who donate to the mascot hall of fame, and the executive committee is made up of. Uh, 45 folks that are from all walks of the sports world that understand, you know, what would make a character valuable. So, and you can go right online and uh, at mascothalloffame.com and read all about our process because it's right there. Um, so I, I just said, look, this is great for them to argue. This is like um, a Will Bond and Kornheiser when we first rolled out the Mascot Hall of Fame in 2005. 
Um, and when they did pardon, pardon the interruption, we could see the, the, the mascot Hall of Fame's logo tick up till it got there. And then for three minutes, they argued with each other about the fanatic didn't belong in first and the chicken should have been in. I mean, it was, and I'm like, I don't care. This is great. They're arguing about the mascot Hall of Fame. You're like, they're so, talking about the mascot Hall of Fame. That's fine with me. Well, 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 Dave, look, we really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. And we know there is a lot more that you're going to be working on in the future. And we hope you'll come back real soon to talk about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and Jeff, thanks for uh, bringing me on. And you do ask good questions, just like Jason. Oh, don't, don't don't make him feel see, better. See, but it's da- okay, Dave, Dave, I just want to let you know, you just gave me the excuse for everything for the rest of my life, which is it just wasn't there my time. That's right. So. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is just always a little bit before his time, Dave. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Have a great Have holiday, a great Dave. One. Jeff, Jeff, talking to the man who is all about fun puts a smile on my face and is always so much fun when we get to do it. By the way, if this show, if the the ratings go down, those kinds of things, I think that we should change our logo to it. It's just not our time. Just not our time. We'll make a mascot (laughs) for the show too. We'll have it already. Good idea. Yes, we will. We will have it already. You want to take a break and then we'll talk to another Philly? Yeah, let, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll go right to our interview with Doug Lanville, and then we'll talk more when we come back. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Uh, we started out the show with the original Philly fanatic, and now we're honored to be joined by former Philly center fielder, pen grad, author, commentator, professor, and now podcaster. I can't fit any more titles, so please don't do <laughs> any more things. Doug Glanville, thank you so much for the time. All right. It's, it's great to be here. And I, I feel like I had the title of a, a, a day. I maybe snow shoveling and, you know, we leaf can, removal system. You we, know, I play a lot of roles at my house. So I'm uh, keeping it moving, man. Keeping it moving. We can update the intro for the next time you come back and join us on the show. Don't worry. We'll be ready. Next time we'll just do the intro and then he'll be done. <laughs> He's got so many titles. It'll take up the whole time. That'll be the whole show. Well, we asked about title with the fanatic. So we got to get started with that. What's your favorite memory of being with the fanatic here? <laughs> oh, I love the fanatic. And it's, uh, I think what was so cool about it is no matter how long I played, uh, in the big leagues, I still always look to see what the fanatic was doing every game, whenever the lineups would roll out. Uh, it was just constant entertainment and it never got old. And, uh, I remember the fanatic one time came on the road, we went to San Francisco and it was fun to see the, the sort of fans in San Fran just kind of react for the first time where he was kind of doing his thing on the dugout and, and all that. It was, it was just like organic and, and people had their, you know, tip their cap and respect that, you know, he was the best in the business. So I, I always loved the fanatic and, and I was a Philly fan growing up thinking of the Tommy Lasorda wars and all, all the things, but uh, I mean, I just loved how, you know, how the fanatic upgrades the routine to, to match. There was one point there was Pokemon go. And, and he had this whole thing where he's acting like he's looking at his big fake cell phone and trying to find, you know, so, I mean, he's, he's the best. And, uh, once again, every day before major league game, the lineups, I was always watching what the fanatic was going to do as he gave his impersonation of every player in our lineup. So, uh, you know, fantastic, such a, a great joy. 
Did you ever see anybody from the opposing team get annoyed with, at him the way that Lasorda did? <laughs> Lasorda was always next level. So, no, I, I don't think there was anything, you know, quite the level of Tommy Lasorda, which what's it's what made it so legendary. So, but yeah, he'd pick on some people. I and mean, Bruce Bochy, he he wore out Bruce Bochy because Bochy had, a, you know, kind of this big head and he'd act like he's getting in the, the forerunner. And then he'd tilt over and lean his head and then he'd like his head would pin against the, the turf, and then he'd pick it up again and then put it back down again and tip over and, and Boach would just sit there straight staring ahead, just didn't do anything. So, yeah, I mean, he, he wore everybody out. It didn't matter who you were, even your own, even the Phillies. And it was all in good fun. And uh, he always had just great, great timing with it where we found everybody was laughing. Well, well, Doug, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, besides talking about the Fanatic, obviously, <laughs> is, is to talk about what's been going on in sports, in particular with diversity. Um, there are some good and obviously there are some, some rough spots with it. But one of the good things that, that I've seen over the last few months is that there seems to be more minority ownership or taking ownership stakes. Uh, for example, Ken Griffey Jr. with the Mariners and Patrick Mahomes with the Royals and Kevin Durant with the MLS's Philadelphia Union. How does it help to have more diversity and ownership in the front office? It's a, it's immensely helpful in many ways. Uh, partly, first understanding it's great for everyone. You know, you know, it's some there's a perception at times like, oh well, you know, we're we're kind of tokenizing this and saying, okay, we're going to have someone in the room, and but it's really about their ability to make decisions to in, influence. And the fact that our sports, you know, at the the sort of heart of it is that we want it to be representative of everyone. I mean, of course, our game is better when we embrace more people and bring more people to have a voice and be able to be engaged. And we reflect their experiences on the field, off the field and decision making and marketing and all these ways that only creates a larger family around the game. And so when you bring people that are representative of that diversity in the room where you're, where you're engaging and you're thinking through a different lens with still a central love for this common ground that is the sport, in my case, baseball, then, I, then you're making a difference. You're really opening it up. And, and so when I see someone like Kevin Durant or different power makers able to be part of this process to learn the business and to open it up in different ways, I see that as a way to expand the sport itself. And, and yeah, you hope that it gets, you know, we talk about, you know, black representation in this case to be beyond just the superstar athletes that are buying pieces, but you know, there's all types of entrepreneurs and business people out there that can come from many different perspectives of sport and still embrace it. That's what's kind of cool about sports is you have people in business that are not necessarily in the business of baseball or their particular sport. They come by, other industries and they bring a different sensibility. And, and so when you have people from different walks of life coming in from all these perspectives, it, it's very enriching. And I think more sustainable for the game to, to carry on through so many different people. And that that's really, uh, to me, what sports are about. When we talk about the lack of diversity among ownership, when, when you look at some of the situations, we've had a lot of different sports and organizations that have issues, mostly recently the Phoenix Suns, the allegations against their owner. How should a league handle situations like this where you have allegations of making statements or bullying or racism or other comments that are unacceptable? Um, obviously, having more diversity would help that, but what can a league do to deal with this problem? 
Well, you know, first thing you have to, you have to investigate and look closely and understand it. And I know it's tough with, you know, social media, everything's so quick. You want to kind of get at it, but you got to know what's happening, understand it and, and get information. That information often in this case, we talk about the sons, you know, more and more, you know, you get more employees, you get more people to understand that this, this is going on. And that's what I appreciate about the Boston Red Sox when they, it was Twitter, but they put a statement out when Tory Hunter was talking about playing in Boston and he, they just confirm like, no, 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 this actually does happen. There's, we do have problems with racism, <laughs> very open forms of it. And we've had to look into this. And, you know, so when you get that support from the organization, the institutions, the leagues to not bury their heads in the sand and act like it doesn't exist, but to actually recognize it, then you're on your way to, to addressing it. And, and that's really important. It's important to understand this is this is everywhere. This is, I mean, I could give you stories. You wouldn't have enough time on the show to talk about trying to get a cab or how my house gets appraised or when I'm trying to send my kids to school or all these things that have happened to me personally. And it didn't matter. I had a Phillies uniform or whatever. It's just, uh, so, so I think we mentioned about representation, the challenge when you have power, and I'm going to use some things from my class, right? Eric Liu talks about power and the principles of power. When it's concentrates, because it tends to concentrate itself. And what, what that does in this context is that you hire people that is, are in your circles. And if your exposure is homogeneity, you know, you only you have this homogeneity throughout your experience where you're only around the same people or the same thought process, then you're going to reinforce that by the people you hire and the people you bring in and the perspective. And, and then you want those people to be successful. So you reinforce it through their own biases in and of itself, right? So you create the king, you're the kingmaker. And so when you're only making kings and queens out of people who are of your background, then that's, that's the, the product you get. And, and, and you reward people that are in your circle. So when you're exposed with many different people and, you know, the power, what it does is you get diversity. It, it, it cuts into that concentration of power and it also makes it more equitable. It spreads it out because now you can't be just unilaterally coming in and saying, no, I'm going to just make this kind of move myself. So that's where all those things you talk about, the sons or Gruden or whatever, those are natural checks to that when you have transparency and you have other people in the room. And I think it does address that in many ways. Well, well, Doug, I think you're right. I, I think it's diversity of experiences too. So if you have a, a people in the room that have all had virtually the same experience, they can't relate to when somebody even may complain to them or report something that's a different experience. So one of my concerns is, is that while it's great that King Griffey Jr. or Patrick McHolmes is involved, the question is, are they really involved or are they just have an ownership stake? What we need right. is people that are at the table, that are talking, that are there for these things so that things like the John Gruden thing doesn't happen. And you actually yep. uh, talked about, you wrote an article recently about an experience with a broadcaster who said something that was racially insensitive and talked about how you would react. Explain how it, it helps for the diversity of experience for people to be in the room, be able to talk to each other about the experiences they have, as opposed to just one side or the other side talking to itself or talking to its own group. Yeah, well, I mean, and I, I think part of the fundamentals of sports is not seeing sides so much, right? You're seeing it as you are a team. And, you know, you're in it together. And when you're all there at the table talking, you just contextualize things differently. Uh, you know, someone says something and you have like, you're not in an echo chamber or you're just like, well, I don't want to sort of step in this and you just sort of let it go. 
Well, when you have voices that feel empowered to speak on issues, then you actually can challenge it. And it can come from a place of complete respect and, and hope for a better place. I serve on the Connecticut Police Council, and I'm in the room all the time working on training and curriculum and policies throughout the state. And the room is full of people from all over. There's different walks and victims advocates and chiefs. And, and, and the fact is, over the years, all I've seen is this reinforcement of the importance of team. And that when we confront things from the outside, let's say, that says, okay, we need to change this policy or George Floyd Justice and Policing Act or whatever, we come with a unified front because we've worked together and gained that trust of all the perspectives unifying into one you know, sort of connected point to say, no, we're together on this. That's what it does. And that, that's a good team. That's what a good team does to be able to say, all right, you have enough someone in the room who's sensitive to that. Like you mentioned, the remarks that went down in the playoffs, Jim Cotton, I wrote about it. And, uh, and so I gave context, like this is how it hit me. And, and so it's important that we understand that our audiences of these sports are not just like who's on Twitter or who's like in the rating machine on the TV. I mean, I had aunts and uncles, great aunts and uncles that listened to the radio for the Phillies and boycotted the Phillies after the way they treated Jackie Robinson in the fifties. And when I got traded to the Phillies, they came back. It literally took that long. <laughs> That's how much pain can happen over decades when things are not addressed. And so, but I came back and they said, okay, we're, we're good. We're back. You know, and they came to the games and so it matters. That's a, a direct example of representation and it, and it makes a difference. So, so you mentioned the Jim Cott incident. So how did, how did, if you can tell us, how did Jim Cott react to what you had written? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly because I know, but I do, do know that it went through the channels that they sent it to him to read. And I, so I don't know what he, he got out of it, but I, I'd say overall universally, the response was positive. Because, you know, I've been through a lot of these types of experiences. And I, I've realized early on, coming from Teaneck, New Jersey, who voluntarily desegregated a community that I saw as harmonious in race and diversity, not perfect, but harmonious. Well, I, I learned that the storytelling is important to just lay out, hey, here's how I felt. Here's the experience. And I have kids and here and like understand the impact and put people in the room and understand the moment of how you internalize these things. You know, when I hear 40 acres... And I, I think of I think of slavery, which which is where it came from, by the way. And I think of certain things. And uh, and there's context, of course. It's a baseball game, and I understand that how as as commentators we can objectify athletes. We're like, oh, he's a horse and he's a workhorse, and and some of that's like innocent fun. But there's other contexts that you you bring that tie to other experiences that we need to be sensitive to. So I thought the response was pretty positive. Harold Reynolds, others came in. We talked and. I had a lot of conversations with people as follow-up. And most importantly, I wanted to, the conversation to have. I think that's always a good starting point. And um, come at it with a sense of like, I'm going to throw Dusty Baker at it with love. Like, hey, I want us all to be better and understand. I'm not indicting you. Indicting you. I'm not name-calling you. I'm, not, I'm just trying to understand. And so you understand, and then I'll hear from you. I think that kind of exchange is, is the best of sport. And that's how we can, I think, move forward. You know, you mentioned Dusty Baker, and, and you've talked about the need for more minority managers. That's just one of the problems that baseball's facing, and it's all sort of coming to a head with potentially a lockout. Can you talk yeah. about what this all means for baseball and what you hope to see come out of it if there is a lockout? Lockouts, you know, it's been a while. I think one thing to point out is 
you think about Chase Utley, he had an entire career, you know, major league wise without any like work stoppage, right? He's, you know, that, that's how long ago, it's been 20 some odd years since we've had uh, any form of work stoppage, strike out, strike or lock, uh, lockout. So you have these ways that labor uh, tended to be the way things move forward in this history of baseball, where work stoppage put the pressure on. So, you know, there's a possibility that when you have a lockout that I think is going to happen, then, you, okay, puts feet to the pyre. It's, it's a test. And the trick for players is that they haven't been through this test in a long time. And I, and, and so it's, it's inevitable that the ownership's going to say, let's see what you got. Let's see if you can hold out and let's see how bad you want this. Uh, I talked to Gene Orza the other day. It was, uh, it was an associate counsel uh, and also COO at one point to the players association. And he said, you know, it, the way I paraphrase, but he says, it's a disinfectant. It's a, it's a test for your authenticity on how bad you are, uh, how seriously you are about an issue, whether it's a salary cap or whatever. So um, it's probably gotten to that point where they're going to have to, you know, have a freeze to see what happens. And hopefully something, you know, comes out of it fairly quickly and, and we move on because it's not, it's never a good thing to, to have a strike and lockout it that that goes on for a long time. My dad still doesn't like to go. You know, and I didn't still didn't like to go watch baseball games after the lockout in 1995. He, yeah. he was done. Yeah. Well, you you know you mentioned you mentioned that Chase Utley went a whole career without a lockout. More more amazingly, most of the players weren't born the last time there was a lockout. Yeah. So so they don't know what the experience is. How how do they get the proper guidance for how to deal with this is it is it from players like you or or you know you, you yes you have a management committee you have people that represent the union but it's different than people who have gone through it before well it the experience matters and although tony clark is you know runs the players association he brings that player sensibility that should inform him about what it takes but it's a lot of grassroots efforts to talk to players educate players know your history know what's at stake and the Players Association historically has done a very good job at that, which is why early days with Marvin Miller, 1966, you know, coming on in the formation really officially, uh, pretty much won every battle. You know, he waited and, you know, free agency and minimum salaries and arbitration and all these things that came up. So they, they are tend to, tend to be pretty resilient, but um, it's, it's different. And, when, and I think it's different in a lockout because it's still spring training, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. But then that first paycheck, <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute, this is real. Uh, that's where you're going to be tested. And uh, certainly the, hist the historical figures in the Players Association know this and know that they've probably, if they're doing their job, they would have prepared for this well in advance and, uh, and know it's going to be really ta taxing and toxic at different times. So, But I, I think it is experience, education, and, and making sure you're uh, staying together. And that's true for the owners too, uh, if they want to kind of get the things they want. You know, you talk about being prepared on the major league level. On Classes in Session, you discuss the state of minor league baseball. Uh, positive note, we've seen some improving conditions of minor league players and housing. There's also other issues. What's your thought on the state of minor league baseball and how MLB is doing? Are they getting it right now? Well, there's definitely positive steps. I mean, the one big step recently was just, you know, taking care of the housing of these players. 
these players don't make very much money. And my, my first paycheck was $327 every two weeks. That was my paycheck. Uh, and and you went I, to Penn. I went to Penn. And, and yes, my, my, age, my agent made the argument like, well, he, you know what he would have made, you know, um, but I wanted to play ball and, and that was what I did. And I think, so the paycheck, you know, it only went up $200 a year for the next couple of years. So this is not, and, and today they don't make a whole lot. They make more, but it, and it was improved. But in the landscape, the big picture, it's still like hardly anything, $15,000 a year. Um, you know, so these are professionals. So they, yes, there's been a commitment to try to address it. And the thing about being a ball player is you live wherever, Geneva, New York, or Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and then you go home and you try to live with, you know, your mom, or you're trying to, you're just trying to make ends meet. And there's guys living in cars, sleeping in cars, and because they have families in Puerto Rico, whatever, it's, it's, it's a lot. And the, the, the fact, the challenge is, I'll take my experience, as a major league player making it, when you've been through all that and you get there, you're just less sympathetic to the minor leaguers coming along. You're like, well, wait, 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 I slept in my car. I, you know, Back and that's day. like, that's where it goes wrong in terms of supporting these guys <laughs> because you kind of get amnesia and forget that they, wait a minute, this is, these are professionals, right? And they, and there's a lot of money being made and there's got to be a better way to support these guys that they're not, you know, making below the living wages basically. And, and like, you know, eating horribly on the road or whatever, these are professionals. And this idea of like weed people out and made the strong survive and all this stuff is, is kind of overshadows or diverts our attention from the fact that they're professionals and, and they need to have, uh, you look at other sports, it's hockey and all, they, they do a much better job financially on these players in their lives. So Major League Baseball, I do think is serious about this and taking steps, but there's a ways to go because it came from literally $327 every two weeks. Now I played on fields that had broken glass on it. I showered under stadiums. I slept on floors. I slept in bus racks. I mean, I've been on the road where a bus driver's falling asleep and he's driving off the road and we're all sitting, taking rotations to keep him awake. I had manager tell us to play hungry. We're not giving you any more food here before the pregame. I mean, I've seen all this stuff. So that is part that culture isn't quite gone away. Okay. So, uh, and, and it needs to, it needs to, it's, it's dated, it's dinosaur and it's time for these players to just get what they need. Cause most don't make it. And it's easy to forget that like, Oh, I made it. Oh, it's all worth it. Well, most players don't. And I think of a guy in Philly, Darren Winston, may he rest in peace, played a lot of years in the minor league, left-handed reliever passed away tragically early left behind all these kids and a family. And thankfully had a little major league time, but man, a lifetime in the minor leagues. And um, uh, so I, I think a lot has to change. Well, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of minor leaguers as they're coming up and we hear the same kind of stories that, that you do. And, and I think a, pe a lot of people forget that they have families too. Uh, you know, th these, these aren't just kids. These are guys that are making decisions when they're 25, 26, 27, where they have, they have a spouse and they have children that they have to take care of. And we've talked to players that have said, Hey, look, I'm going to have to make that decision at the end of the year. As much as I love this game and want to try to make it work, I have to take care of my family. And, and, and we're now at a point with the holidays, I, I'm going to try to segue here, um, where, where we're dealing with things like giving Tuesday and, and, and trying to use the platforms we all have to, to, to better our communities. You're involved with the ML, uh, MLB AA, the Alumni Association, or have been for a long time. Uh, one of the things that is helping out with charities. What has, what has led you to continue to try to use your platform to benefit the community and to help these charities? And, and for you, wh which one 
do you want to talk about before we go? Well, I, you know, I think I, for years, I, I served on the board of the MLBPA, the Alumni Association, which is really at its heart trying to, you know, continue the love of the game in many ways. Uh, and, and there's components to that that are profitable, whether you're getting, a, you know, long-time retired players who would play it in the 70s, you know, autograph sessions, or whether you're trying to work on uh, alumni services where you're trying to help players continue transitioning out of the game, you know, work skills. And, and that's always been ongoing. And, um, and so I think the, the sense of what this game means to these communities that are beyond you know, what you did on the field is always important to underscore. That it's important to know that these players you know, go on and have careers and try to reinvent themselves off the field. And, but you know, they're still part of our conscious in our communities. We still remember these, these moments, people who got called up, first round draft picks that are traded, whatever it is. And that what they do and how they engage their communities, especially when they're trying to help and support, is something we should all support. And, and, and that there's a lot of goodwill there about those relationships. So, you know, so I try to be part of that. I try to, you know, and anything I do, even outside of the specific organizations, I try to do with a, a, a memory for those relationships and players that came before me that, you know, maybe did stay on strike and opened up doors for us to come through and, and make a, a great living and be able to do what we do. So I, I feel an obligation and I always feel kind of at pained about the fact that there's so many players that played in the seventies and sixties and, and, you know, they don't have certain luxuries. They don't, they have challenges with healthcare or insurance, or they, you know, they don't have the windfall of these amazing pension plans and all these things. I mean, they, they did what they did. They went on strikes and missed things to open up the future, to be able to be beneficiaries. So we have a great obligation to them. We, we really do. And, and, and I think especially the players, um, you know, let alone ownership and teams and so on. So, um, so yeah, I think it's the dots connect for me in that way. And, um, and I, you know, I look in the mirror a lot. I feel like I don't do enough. You know, I, I, I feel like I try to, you know, raise the banner around this, what we're, we're obligated to. And, um, you know, hopefully that we realize a lot of these players house a lot of our greatest memories with our favorite sports. Quick one before we go. I see the jerseys hanging behind you on our video <laughs> for you. Yeah. Did Ryan Howard yeah. ask for your number? <laughs> yeah, Ryan. You know, well, one thing about when I went over to, uh, I went to Texas and I came back to Philly and Jimmy Rollins had taken my number when I left. So I said, Jimmy, you know how this goes, man. <laughs> you know, the veterans got to come in and, and you got to take it off your back. I'm sorry, man. I know you were six in high school or whatever. And it was painful for him, man. But he, he I gave him, a, I remember I gave him a computer as a gift. Uh, but when, when Lance One Dog Johnson came uh, and came to Chicago when I was there, he took the number off my back and he, he said, son, <laughs> I'm going to give you something more valuable than a Rolex watch. I'm going to give you advice. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to play the game. So I kept, I kept looking for a check that said signed advice. Cause I was like, wait, wait a minute, what are you talking about advice? You're going to give me advice. Does that work like so, cash uh, made yeah, out to cash made out to advice? <laughs> yeah. It didn't, didn't work when I went to the bank. So yeah. So Jimmy, I appreciate him. Yeah. What a great career. So I'm very uh, proud of him. Doug, these are serious, complex issues we face every day. And uh, we appreciate your voice in those conversations and we appreciate you joining us to have them because 
you know, we think only by each other understanding what's actually going on. Can we figure out how to solve some of these things? So thanks for the time and the thoughtful conversation as always. It's always a pleasure and the best of sport. It's fair, it's fairness, it's equity, it's teamwork, it's unity. Uh, I think we just got to keep, you know, pushing for that. It's aspirational, but it's a great driver on how we can come together, not just dealing with issues around sport, but in larger society as well. We can yeah. set the example <laughs> through sport and uh, no better venue than something we all love. Thank you so much, Doug. You have a great one. All right, oh, guys. Boy. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, getting to talk to Doug Glanville is always something special for us, no doubt. We, we learn something every time we talk to him, and it's important. Uh, Doug is, has always, and I say this every time he's on, he's an important voice, not just for sports, but for society. His perspective is always fascinating to me, not only the life experiences he's had, but the way that he's able to put himself in somebody else's shoes, even if he's experienced the opposite, to try and understand where they're coming from to really and, make a difference. And it shows in an Ivy League degree, you could still make $300. <laughs> Look, my parents had a hard enough time when I graduated <laughs> Rutgers what I was getting paid. I can't imagine if I went home and told them that that was happening. You know what? It worked out for him. It did. Uh, that's going to be the end of the broadcast day on WWDB AM in about a minute. Where you can keep listening on podcast, find the rest of the show. Jeff, let's talk about- And streaming. And streaming, that's right. Yeah. Jeff, let's talk about last night. The many, many places. Uh, we are both just defrosting. It wasn't cold to start the night, but then it rained. And so we slept out last night for Covenant House to raise awareness for youth homelessness. Jeff, Tell people about our night. We'll tell them about the money our team raised and then offer our own thoughts for a minute. Yeah, I mean, we, we this is something that, that we've been promoting for years. Um, it's something that, that I participated in previously and you have now joined the, the uh, Sleeping Out team. Yes. Which means that you sleep outside and you don't do it, just for, for people that don't know this, we're not doing it to pretend that we're homeless. We're doing it to raise awareness for a plight of, of kids who don't have an opportunity and just need one. And, you know, you said something to me, I'll, I'll let you say it, but, you know, when I did it the first year, it was meeting the kids, the kids that were, were, had just been brought into the program and the kids that were the success stories and meeting the staff. And, and you had a chance yesterday to, to do that. And why don't, you, why don't you talk just for a minute about that? You know, everybody asked me, like, oh, what was it like sleeping outside? And what was it like in the rain? Look, let me tell you, the, the, the conditions are difficult at night. But what moved me the most is before we slept out, we talked to no name one of the participants mm -hmm. uh, who was there. And he told us about his experience, about not really having the family support growing up and not having a home and being homeless and how he was moving forward now and how he had just gotten a job and how excited he was. And and after that, Jalen Brunson, who had played at Villanova, now plays for the Dallas Mavericks, came on. He's supported Covenant House as well. And he was talking about why he supports Covenant House. And, and he's talking in his story about how he got where he is because of the support of his family. And I'm listening to it and I'm going, you know what? That's right. And I'm kind of in that same situation. And after he finishes, they said, does anybody have any questions? And the, the child, the, the young man who was sleeping at Covenant House said, I do, and asked the first question. And he said, what do you do if you don't have that family or those friends to love you? Mm -hmm. And all night long out in the rain, I'm thinking, he gets up in the morning and he doesn't have anybody to tell him that they love him. So it's not just that he's wet and cold overnight. It's what he goes through during the day trying to get himself straight and, and take care of himself. He can't shower anymore, you know, anywhere there. Like, we, we woke up, and what did we do? We went back into our heat. 
we, you know, I didn't get to shower till later, but we took a hot shower. And well, thank you for doing that. You're welcome. To the I, show. Um, but it, so it's, it, you know, and look, overnight, everybody's like, oh, it's, it's going to be warm last night. So it was warmer when we started. Last night was a really odd night. Yes. Like it was warmer out but when we started. But then it got cold and wet. Yeah. And so my problem was I was very unprepared. I had like a tarp to cover myself, except for the tarp blew off. So then it I... It didn't cross your mind to like... Hold it. Right? I did put it. I put it underneath <laughs> things to try to get it down, and there was a gust of wind that blew right. the one side up. So then I'm soaking wet, and all my stuff is soaking wet. And about two o'clock in the morning, it went from like 44, 45 degrees to like 38, 37 and windy. And I was like, I'm very wet right now, and it is cold. You, you got a small taste of the one year that I did it when it was in the nor'easter. Yeah. So all you needed was some ice coming at your face the whole time and your boots splitting <laughs> in the middle of the night. Look, I was very honored to be able to do it. It is a, a humbling experience. We were able to solicit our listeners, our friends, our family. And it's not over. This isn't, this isn't, the the event is one night, but you can still go to our page and you can donate or just go to the Covenant House and donate or participate however it is. No, you you should donate through our page so that we can keep raising more money. Because our team actually is in eight. Look at you, Mr. Competitive. Well, well, you've done most of the work. No, no, no. We we all do, and (laughs) and and that's the other thing is is that that one of the things when you're dealing with with a charity like this is there is no such thing as a small donation. You're doing whatever you can, whatever you want to do to help other people. No, and look, we we had seventy five donations to our team. Uh, the average donation was oh, a little over dollars Now you're going stats on this? But we raised almost $13,000 to help young people have a bed to sleep in tonight or mental health services to get so they can get through the day or a meal to eat. And that's just amazing to me. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. Let's talk... So look look at you. Here comes the segue into stats of the Eagles. Here we go. I'm not going to go into stats of the Eagles. Do you have any other thoughts before we make a hard transition? Because there's no way to go from what we experienced last night. No, there isn't. And that's that's why you just need to, that's why I figured you were going with your segue with stats. So why why don't you pull up some stat that's going to give people in the city of Philadelphia hope, especially... The, the the kid who's sitting across here who wants to go who's going to the Eagles game and wants to see a win who flew in from Colorado. Well, look, they're due for a win at home. They haven't won yet. Oh, that that's <laughs> the stat you come up with. You have a whole week to come up with some hope to give this city that that this is going to be the I game and you're going, well, look, they got to win. They're playing sometime. Trevor Simeon as the quarterback and Alvin Kamara are out. Those are your two Noteworthy things. Now the problem well, wait, is you forgot Michael Thomas, who was the best wide receiver in the NFL for a few years. As well, okay. but the problem is the Phillies. The Phillies. The, the Eagles Phillies. have had their success the last few weeks by finally running the ball, and Miles Sanders should come back. But they're ru- playing against the number one run defense in the NFL, giving up just seventy-two rushing yards a game. So they're not as good on pass defense. But again, Jalen Hurts has been better making decisions. What are we going to see this week, Adam? They're 0-4 at home. They are 0-4 at home. They're due. They have a winning record on the road. They're 4-2 and two on the road and 0-4 at home. Wait, this, this is another time to pull out the Dave Raymond. It just wasn't their time. <laughs> That's going to be your excuse for exactly. everything now. That could be the Eagle slogan. You know, the Raiders have just win, baby, when they're not in trouble. And now, and now you can have the Eagles that it, it just wasn't our time. What is your feeling on the Eagles game this week? pain pain so you don't think they win this 
I did not pick them to win this before the season, but for some reason I Here, think they can. Here's the hope for, for why I'll give you something totally absurd as to why the Eagles are going to win. Says the Giants. I have yeah. it on good. You, you know how I feel about going to other Philadelphia random events, and and in the middle of a Sixers game for no apparent reason, Phillies game, Union game, it doesn't matter. There is a random Eagles chant that goes out. So they're going to win because there's an Eagles chant? I have no good authority that last night the Sixers were at the Nuggets, that it was mostly Sixers fans at a Nuggets game, which seems kind of odd, and an Eagles chant broke out. Which I know bothered you to no end. You know, I don't they, understand they, it. I don't understand why you like it. Okay, it's, I'm cool with you rooting for the Eagles. Why, ran, why an Eagles chant at a game in Denver for basketball? So I'll be honest. It was the little things last night. Like Normally, I would be mm-hmm. watching the Sixers game and yeah. texting you. Yeah, and instead we were both sleeping out in the rain. So like, you don't watch the yeah. Sixers we may, game. we may have missed Charles Bassey's best game. seminal moment for his entire career. It may be the high point be- because <laughs> there was a point before we went outside that I walked by a television and saw number twenty three, and I kept going, "Who's that?" <laughs> Look, the Sixers <laughs> they made forty three of eighty. Can, can we? Shots can we get, wait? Night. Can we? Can, can, can you buy a Bassey jersey? Probably with a Springer jersey. <laughs> <laughs> here, so here's what I do know. Have you seen? We're gonna we're gonna go a little off topic here. Uh, talk jerseys for a second, because because okay. while we were in commercial, we were talking about Royals jerseys. But let's talk about better. The Royals changed their jersey. So as bad as the F- Sixers City Edition jerseys were last year, is how good the Sixers is how good they are this and, year. And by right? the way, you're late to this game. What? I've been telling you about these jerseys and this court. They are for a long time gorgeous. Okay, but can so, we buy them yet though? So so, so so that was the big marketing faux pas. The first one was you announce it. And somehow they're not available yet, despite the fact that one of the owners owns probably one of the biggest <laughs> sports apparel businesses in the world. You think right? they'd work that out? Okay, but here's the second part. So, and they, by the way, we say that because we wanted to buy it while we were exactly. at the game, and they didn't have had nothing, not a hat, not <laughs> a T-shirt, with the logo, nothing with the logo. But they're wearing them on the court. Yes. So they said they say that they're going to come out this Monday. And they send an email, I think went to season ticket holders first, because I got one, okay? okay? And I immediately went online because a certain somebody wanted wanted something. And by the time I had clicked on it, which was moments after Sold I got out. it, there was nothing left except the same jersey that you can get right now that is still available. Would you like to know whose jersey that is? Ben Simmons. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Wait, the, here's the, the question, though. The fact that they're selling them is is a total arrogance so because they're saying to you, you know what, we, we're not going to make, if you can make the jersey with anybody's name on it, why can you not make Embiid's or Maxi's or ter, Tobias Harris or, or Bassey? Anybody <laughs> so that they're available, but somehow there's Simmons jerseys available. I've already told you that I have to buy my son a new T-shirt because that has Ben Simmons' name on the back. My kid was wearing a Ben Simmons jersey at the game last night in Denver. Speaking of, he's getting fined again, Jeff. He did not go on the trip with the team, but he is apparently practicing at St. Joe's. Things are going swimmingly. Shouldn't he be out there? They're playing Portland next. (laughs) Just leave him (laughs) there. They could just say, here, have him. Whenever you decide who you're giving us, then you could just send them our way. This is a team that's playing very, very shorthanded. No Joel Embiid, no yeah. Matisse Thybul. They didn't have Danny Green last night with a hamstring. Are you worried about what, whether, when Joel's going to be okay to come back? 
I'm worried about his. We talked about this with last, last week with Heath. I'm petrified of his conditioning. Yeah. When he comes back at this point, it you know he's not the guy that when he sits for a while it goes well. Well, no, but but I will th- look as somebody who's experienced this firsthand. And he apparently he's been like sick, like symptomatic. Sick. Well, that's it. I'm telling you, as somebody who's been vaccinated and all that other good stuff and done everything that I was supposed to do, I got it. It was bad, and I'm still not fully recovered. Like breathing is hard when, especially when it's cold or when you exert yourself. And so you're talking a guy about a guy who's over seven feet tall, who's now experiencing this, and if he's got symptoms. Regardless of how good a condition he is, and he's never been like super conditioned, it it could be an issue. And you wonder how long this is going to be an issue. Because if you remember last year, Seth Curry said that well, that that he had it linger for a while. Well, and Tobias Harris still looks kind of out of. They out have of three games left on the road trip. I would think it's unlikely at this point that they join the team. Maybe they come back when they're at home. Uh, but Jeff, we've got about two minutes left. A little less than that. Two things. One, the Union have their playoff <laughs> home game this weekend. Uh, shout out to the Union, Jim. Curtin. I am so bummed not to be there. I know, right? Isn't that well? You'll be at the Michigan game. My my, my hope is. I bummed. hope this this is a long run this time. I hope so. La- I mean, last year they got the supporter shield. This year it's time to step it up and get more. This time it's time to get the trophy. I would like to get Don't to. Don't you think? Uh, I, yeah, it'd be awesome to see that. I'd like to get to another game this year. Uh what else do you want to talk to before we finish up? Because I totally forget what the other point was, and it's terrible. When I, I, I think we here. should have dead air until we figure out exactly what was inside Jason's just, mind. Just wasn't my that day. That would be Jeff. awesome. <laughs> it just was not my day. How did the Flyers not get win that game last night? Goaltending. Vasilevsky's really good. I mean, but look, what's encouraging to me is how well Giroux played. He hasn't looked like this in years. Yeah. He just sniper getting to the points. They're a fun team to watch. Again, I, I only caught highlights of that because we were outside. And, and, and Gritty's in good condition this year, too. He's doing well, holding up. Yeah. Um, what else? You know, you're going to go this weekend. I like the fact that you're talking and there's music playing Yeah, Brett's trying, to, Brett's trying to take us off He's the air. We still have 50 us. seconds left, Brett. Do you have a giant hook out there? Are you trying to tell us something? Turn off the music, Brett. seconds left. See, if I were Brett right now, I would have said, hey, Jeff, Jason, it's just not your time. It's just not your time. <laughs> All right, we'll sign off now then. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.